Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Thank you, worship ministry. I, I'm just so, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful um, <clears throat> that every Sunday we have the opportunity to gather in His name and to call upon the name of the Lord and to worship Him. And, um, and, and, we're, and, we're, and we're free to do that. I mean, we really are. We're, we're, we're blessed to have the opportunity uh, to call upon His name. <clears throat> and I say we're free. I, I, I hope we're free to do that. Um, I also know that sometimes we get into routines and patterns. Um, I mean, I know we're free. I mean, as far as I can tell, nobody's keeping us from worshiping the Lord today. Um, but I know that sometimes we get hindered by ourselves. Y'all know, that, y'all know what I'm talking about? We get worried about what someone else might think or someone else might do. I don't know. I don't know if you ever have personal times of worship. I hope you do. I hope you call upon the name of the Lord. I hope you lose yourself in those moments and, uh, and praise His holy name. I hope, you, I hope you have moments like that in the, at the kitchen table. I hope so. In the car ride. I hope, I hope so. I hope God has stirred your heart up to praise Him and to sing glory unto His name. Um, and uh, actually, when we gather together, you know, that's part of what we do. I mean, that's part, that part of that motto. Nathan leads us every Sunday. We gather, gather. Why do we gather? We gather to lift high the holy name of Jesus Christ. Part of gathering together on this day is to, is to come together and to worship together. It's a beautiful thing. God said in His Word, He said, don't forsake the gathering together of God's people. And there's a reason for that, because there's something special when God's people come together to lift high the holy name of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. God, God be glorified. God be lifted up. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8 this morning. I've been sharing with you several weeks now, quite some time actually, about God encounters. And we're coming to a close to that series. We're about to transition into something else. Um, but today, the title the title's Holy Spirit-Filled Witnessing. And we talked a lot about God the Holy Spirit. We go back to Acts chapter 2. But even before that, Jesus promised that the gift would come. The Holy Spirit would come. He reminded the disciples. He said, y'all wait here until He comes. And, and He came with glory. And He came very visibly, very... Uh, noticeably, it wasn't just the disciples that, that saw the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, uh, but they heard, they saw the tongues of fire. I mean, it was a very visible outpouring of God the Holy Spirit on that day that forever changed those believers' lives. And Jesus said that He would empower them to be witnesses. I can tell all of us here today, if you know Christ personally as your Lord and Savior, God has called me and you, both of us, to witness what the Lord has done in our life. No excuses. No, no putting it off on some preacher or somebody else or somebody quote-unquote trained. I mean, it is all of us that know Him are called to witness, to bear to the fact, to the reality that God has changed my life and changed your life. And we're called to do that. And we saw that not only He poured it out there, but He also poured it out on them Gentiles. Thanks be to God. Amen. God's Holy Spirit's for all of us, no matter where you come from, your race, uh, uh, your background, your heritage, it doesn't matter. God is not a respect our persons and since he shows favoritism, but he has poured out in our hearts anyone who calls upon his name. We have the incredible gift of God the Holy Spirit very present with us, even so today. So in the context, here we go, in Acts chapter 8, 
we meet a young man. Actually, he, we've been introduced earlier, if you read through the book of Acts, to Philip. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go, down to the, uh, go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now let me pause here just a minute because we need to ask a question. Who is Philip? I'm glad you asked that question. Philip, uh, first and foremost, is a disciple. If you will, back up in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. In those days, there was a number of disciples that were increasing. Disciple was the, was the kind of go-to name for those that followed Christ. The word disciple was common in the first century. I mean, you would have been a disciple uh, uh, even of the Jewish faith. If you felt the Lord was calling you into that profession or moving in that direction of any direction whatsoever, you would have come under somebody's leadership and you would have walked with them. You would have been their disciple. And the same model that Jesus used when he walked and gathered those 12 among him. And they walked with him for almost three years before he died and rose again. I mean, he, he, he discipled them. That was the go-to word. It means a follower. Those of us today that are Christians, you ought to identify with being a disciple. And a, a disciple means that I'm walking with the Lord on a daily basis. It ought not to be foreign or, or, or unusual for you to listen to the Lord, to follow His leadership, to walk in a manner uh, pleasing unto the Lord. There ought to be a communion or a relationship. He's teaching you and you're listening and responding. These are just part of life uh, as a believer. And disciple was the go-to word. And Philip was a disciple, one of those that was increasing. But, but, but not only that, but we find in Acts chapter 6 that the Grecian Jews among them had complained about the Hebraic Jews. In other words, the widows, they felt like the, their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Widows in the first century would have been a most vulnerable group of people, very dependent on others. And in this case, in the first century church, the church is exploding. And now they, they recognize that there are, there are needs that need to be met. And one of those main needs is that uh, there are widows that need to be fed. And so... So here it is in verse 2. So the twelve, those apostles, gathered all the disciples together. Now, I don't know how many that was, but they gathered a bunch of them. And they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word in order to wait on tables. They didn't mean anything slight by that whatsoever, but they were overwhelmed by the need in the moment. And they said, look, we can't do it all. In fact, God's called us to preach. God's called us to lead. God's called us to teach this Word, to lead out in this area. We need more people involved. And by the way, the church is that way today. There, I mean, not one person is, makes the church. It's all of us gathered together in His name, doing what God's called us to do. Some are more seen than others. I'll tell you, there was a group of us meeting for prayer this morning. You may not even know who they are, but you've been prayed for, right? Because God's burdened certain people to pray, to, to go to their closet, to go to the house, and they cry out unto the Lord. Uh, we call them intercessors. Right? And God, God has moved. Now, some of you here today are that person, right? God's called you to that, uh, uh, that ministry, but it's not often seen outside, right? Others are mo more noticeable. So it wasn't any kind of slight. They just said, look, we can't do it all. So what did they do? Uh, they, th they got the disciples together. They chose seven men from among them that were known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. This reminds me of Paul's prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians where he said, Lord, uh, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, there were some men there that had risen to the top of the disciples, and they knew that these men were full of the Holy Spirit, but they had practical application of the Word of God. That's the wisdom in their life. Their life showed it. And so there was evidence in them. And among them uh, was 
uh, uh, Philip. And I'm going back down to verse 5. So they, the proposal pleased everyone, so they chose who? Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip. And that's where we get introduced to Philip in this moment. So, so in, 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 this, in this situation, Philip's a disciple full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Go back to Acts chapter 8. He's, he's chosen to serve food to the widows. In other words, he's going to meet that truth or meet that opportunity, that ministry opportunity. Um, now, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to remind us of this. I've, I've quoted Henry Blackaby several times, and he makes a statement. He said, The truth is that God can do anything he pleases through an ordinary person who is fully dedicated to him. Philip may not have been the person of choice. In fact, uh, in this situation, uh, there might have been other people maybe more suited for what he's about to do in Acts chapter 8. And yes, he had a great job. He was serving those widows and making sure they had plenty of food to eat. And it was a noble task. A great need was being met there. But there was something more that the Lord wanted to do in his life. And I say this because he was not Peter. He wasn't John. He wasn't the ones that you would have thought, hey, this is the person God's going to use. But not only that, we see back in uh, verse 7 of chapter 6, as a result of what they do, they delegate the responsibility, they're meeting the needs of the people, God blesses them. And in verse 7 it says the word of God begins to spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. I mean, this is, this is a uh, phenomenon. I mean, there's a miracle taking place, and, and day after day, people are coming to faith in Christ. Some would call this an awakening, revival has taken place. But what's interesting is a large number of priests are also becoming obedient to the faith. So now it's not just commoners, but now the religious people of the day, the Levites would have been there working in the temple. Now they are coming to faith in Christ as well. Now as a result of that, uh, great persecution begins to break out against the church. We mentioned some of this last week in chapter 8. The beginning, before we get down to Philip and the Ethiopian, the church is being persecuted. In fact, we see in chapter 7, Stephen, one of those that was set aside to meet the needs of the widows, we see him preaching and testifying, witnessing before this council, and all of a sudden he is stoned to death. We recognize that in chapter 7. There's great persecution. It's not, listen, it's not just people now telling you, don't speak in the name of Jesus, don't tell somebody, but now they are physically being beaten, stoned to death. Why? Because they promote the gospel. Listen, I know we live in a free country, and we have the opportunity to walk down the street in just a minute, wherever you want to go, and tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they may not like it. They may get offended. They may not want to hear from you. But there's, to my not, there's no concerted effort to say you can't speak the name of Jesus today. In fact, we're gathered here in the open. Anybody can walk in these doors right now. And yet in the first century, all this great joy, all this wonderful things that was taking place, and now there's this intense persecution. And, and, and not, only, not only is there persecution, but, it, it, but they're amping it up. Y'all remember Saul? I mean, he was there at the end of uh, chapter 7 giving approval to the death of Stephen. But he is not content with that. Chapter 8, verses 1, this great persecution on that day, a great persecution broke out. On the death of Stephen, it broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered. That's the same word I'm talking about when the sower scatters the seed. I mean, it's just thrown about. They're all moved about throughout Judea and Samaria. 
Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul, here he is, began to destroy, in his mind, the church. He was relentless. What did he do? It's no more, hey, don't speak in the name of Jesus. He wasn't going after the leadership anymore, Peter and John. Now he is going literally to house to house to people. I'm talking about ordinary people. Men, women, moms, and dads going up in your house and dragging you out. If you say, yes, I'm follower of Christ. If you say, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus, then boom, you go into jail. I would imagine he gave you an opportunity to recant and deny the whole thing in some kind of public spectacle, which has typically happened throughout the history of persecution in the church. But those that did not deny Christ were carried off and put into prison. Men and women both. Moms and dads. Can you imagine the scene right now? I'm I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a crazy moment. And yet here the Holy Spirit of God has led them to preach, to proclaim the Spirit of God comes. And you would think everybody's excited, everybody's full of great joy. But listen, there's a real enemy to the people of God. And he stirred up old Saul and mobilized a group of people to bring severe persecution to the church on this day. Those that were scattered was Philip and many, many others. But what I love about Philip, we get to chapter 8 in Acts, verse 4. Those that have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now what I love about that is they've been scattered and sent from their homes. It's like a persecution comes forth and they have to go and they're fleeing for their lives. But as they go, they can't help but to keep talking about the Lord preaching about Christ, wherever they go, wherever they end up. It's as if they have this strong sense in their heart that God is leading every step of the way. I would remind us, I mean, in great moments and great trials and great difficulties and even great persecution, God the Holy Spirit brings comfort to those that are suffering. Why? How do I know that? The Bible says God is God of all comfort. He knows everything that we've ever gone through, ever will go through. And God is able, able to reach down from heaven, literally through the Holy Spirit, and bring comfort and assurance to those that are struggling, those that are having great difficulty. We ought to find great encouragement in that today. Philip, no doubt, like many others, as he was scattered ab- abroad, he, he, he knew that God's hand was on it. Somehow he sensed that in the Holy Spirit in that moment. So what do they do? When they go, they keep preaching. They keep proclaiming Christ. It's as if the persecution doesn't do what Saul intends it to do. In fact, it's almost like God is using Saul to just just take this gospel and just send it forth to the masses. Remember he says, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you What not only in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. And all of a sudden, this persecution just sends them forth. And as they go, they keep talking about the Lord, proclaiming Christ wherever they go. Not only that, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention. The Bible says in verse 7, shrieks, evil spirits come out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, and there was great joy in the city. I mean, this isn't just some private proclamation. He's very public out in the streets where people can see and hear. Not only that, you remember their prayer? We looked at this last week. God continued to heal, continued to do miraculous works. Why? They're undeniable, unmistakable. I would submit to you even so today, when God changes a person's life today, it's undeniable. We all ought to have a story of how God has reached down from heaven and saved us and touched us, changed this life, brought us out of darkness into light. This person who was dead is now alive in Christ. That's your story. I hope that's your story if you know Christ. 
And it's worth sharing that story. And by the way, the world is still mesmerized and amazed when, when one person is willing to tell somebody about what the Lord's done in their life. They're kind of taken back. They're, they don't know how to handle it. Sometimes it attracts them to Christ when they begin to hear, hear the story of how God's worked in our hearts. Nonetheless, there were miraculous signs and wonders that followed Philip and his preaching, his proclamation of the gospel. And all of a sudden, we see great joy in the city of Samaria. I mean, the place that the Jewish people would have thought it never would have happened. You remember, I mean, we, we've already looked at this. The, 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 the area of Samaria, was, they were hated by the Jews, and there was this dissension going on. And yet, it's in this area that the Jews would have thought, there's no way, no hope, they're never going to make it to heaven. All of a sudden, it's in that city, in that region, God births a great movement. It's the most unlikely place in the world that a revival would take place. And let me just say, God does it in the most unlikely of places. But make no mistake, revival is breaking out here in the city. Most unlikely of places. Can I just pause there a minute? You know, I don't know how many of y'all have been involved in... I, I know now, now, listen, I know I've been Baptist long enough. Well, I don't even know, do we have revival meetings here anymore? I don't know, I'm just asking. I'm, you, know, you don't have to answer. I'm, I'm looking over here, you don't have to answer. I remember back in the day, we had a spring revival and a fall revival. Y'all remember that? If, you, if you're old enough, you remember it was all week. I mean, it was all week. If you're really spiritual, you were in it to win it. You were there all, every day, every, all week. And then it somehow got shortened to Sunday to Wednesday. And then at some point, it got well, Monday nights only. I mean, you know, it was just like a... And, you know, and then at some point, I think we kind of fell into this formality that revival means I put a sign on the door that says, we're having a revival meeting. You know, it's kind of like saying, y'all come to church, and we have church. There's a big difference, isn't it? Now, I will tell you, I, I, and I'm just, I'm just going to praise the Lord this morning because I couldn't help but to think about it. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. i gotta go, I got to go way back to 1996. Some of y'all probably wasn't even born in 96. And I remember coming to, to this little church down the road here at Canaan Baptist Church as a youth minister. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, and all of a sudden God put me there in the midst of the youth group that we only had like four or five kids at that time. The only thing I needed to do was load people up and take them to go share gospel with other people. And, and what I didn't know was God was already at work in this area. And I'm, if you're from this area, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. I mean, if you're from this area, Flint Hill, McCullough, McAdory, Hueytown, go, going down to Brookwood, Green Pond, doesn't matter, go all the way to Oak Grove, Pleasant Grove. And uh, God, God had already begun a work of mobilizing churches and youth pastors and youth groups for the purpose of prayer and seeking the face of God. And I remember coming to Canaan. It was some years later after I'd been there. We'd been meeting on a monthly basis, praying and praying and seeking the Lord. And, uh, and if you remember this, once a month they would have this service called Undivided. And God began to do a work, and God led us to this time that we called it awakening. We didn't understand that, but we met downtown at Canaan Baptist. I don't know if you know Doug Cadell. He used to teach at McAdory a long time. He's a pastor down there. We gathered on that Friday night. Kevin Blackwell, I don't even know Kevin. He was over there. Uh, I'm trying to remember a church over there in Hueytown. He preached uh, Psalm 51. It was a psalm where David cried out to the Lord and confessed his sin, asked God to cleanse him with hyssop, that God would restore his relationship with him. What I do remember that night is God just showed up in a miraculous way. I mean, nobody could take credit. It wasn't Kevin's preaching. If you know Kevin, I mean, you know, I don't mean that in a disregard. It wasn't his preaching. It wasn't the worship. 
God showed up. And in that moment, I mean, the presence of God invaded that church. I can't tell you how many people were there, but they were standing room only. And, they, and this altar, you know, we just sang that song, Come to the Altar. The altar was flooded with people confessing of their sins and turning their life to Christ. I mean, it was just an just unbelievable time in the Lord. Overwhelming, I'll be honest with you. It was, it was a joy like no other. I can only imagine that Philip in this moment in this city was experiencing something similar to that. That all of a sudden the gospel is going forth. People are getting saved. There's great joy. People are confessing their sin. I mean, they're just getting right with the Lord. All of a sudden these Samaritans, all these people there that are coming to faith in Christ. And Philip's in the midst of that. In the midst of that revival. When what happens next? All of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up to him and says, I want you to go leave this revival meeting and go on that road that leads towards the desert. Most unlikely place that you'd ever think anybody would be called to go. Go on down to that place. In fact, he doesn't even tell him exactly where to go. He just says to go. Now, what I will say to you, the second thing is, we need to cultivate a dependence on the Holy Spirit. If we're going to have Holy Spirit-filled witnessing, we've got to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. I mean, who in their right mind would leave a revival meeting where people are getting saved? There's joy overwhelming and people are showing up out of the woodworks. And all of a sudden, great things are taking place. Miracles are taking place. I mean, who in their right mind would leave that to go to the desert? I mean, honestly, who would do that? Well, in this moment, I know you can say, well, we read the Scripture. I get that. I get that. Live in the moment just a moment. I don't, do y'all dive into the Scripture sometimes? I mean, as a preacher, you're up in that moment. That's what you want. You want people to come to faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, there's an overwhelming sense of God's presence and God moving and God doing miracles. And God, you want me to go where? To the desert? You want me to leave this and go somewhere? I mean, he's not even telling them what to do. He just says, you get up and go. Just go. Now, I will say that when I, when I say cultivating a dependence on God, there's kind of three parts to this, and, and they kind of interwoven together. First is hearing, discerning, and doing. Hearing, discerning, and doing. In other words, in this moment, Philip had to know that he was hearing from the Lord. He had to be not just, let, let me say it this way, he was listening intently, being sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let me just remind us again, I, I'm just quoting Henry Blackerby, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. God speaks even so today. Friend, I hope you hear that. I hope I'm not freaking you out this morning, but God speaks through his word. God speaks through a church service, and yes, through a revival service, God will call you up out of that revival and send you down a desert road, a place you never thought you would go, a place that he may have never even been, and yet God calls him to go. So he's hearing from the Lord, but he's discerning. Right? And he has to be discerning. So when I say this, when we cultivate a dependence on the Holy Spirit, we got to be discerning. How do we know which way to go? How do we know this is the, what the Lord wants? There's a tension sometimes. Now look, look, between good and bad, that's fairly simple. But it's when you're doing good and then all of a sudden God calls you to go somewhere else and leave. And there, now you have two things that aren't right or wrong. They're both good. They're both great. Which way do I go? There comes discernment. Now I'm going to share with you very practically. God promises that His peace... 
His peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. Here's what I'm going to share with you. When you're presented with that option, when you're trying to discern the will of the Lord, the direction to go, there, there needs to be a peace that passes all understanding. That's a promise of God in His Word. He said, my peace I give to you. Now, sometimes God will get, get, hit you over the head like a lightning bolt. God will give you a special word in this scripture, but sometimes there's a tension there. And I will say to you, Philip, I mean, he's walking in the Spirit of the Lord. Yes, he hears the Lord. Yes, he goes. But I will tell you to us, say to us right here, God is wanting us to be used of him in witnessing and sharing the gospel. But we need to listen. We need to be discerning. I'll give you an example. I don't know how many of you have been to Gulf Shores to the Shrimp Festival. I don't even know if they do that anymore. Now I'm really dating myself. I'm going way back to when I was at St. Elmo Baptist Church and we went to the shrimp festival over there in Gulf Shores. And New Song. I don't even know if y'all even know who New Song is. You know, Eddie. Eddie was back the original, Michael. I don't know if you know the original. But anyway, Eddie was a preacher and he was sharing the gospel that night. I mean, there are just hundreds of people. It's like a sea of people down there. It's where the, whatever that place is called, the hangout. There wasn't there back then. That's how old I am. It was just a sea of people out there in a big old stage. And uh, he's sharing the gospel. I mean, he is laying it on just, I mean, the Spirit of God. All of a sudden, I look around. I look behind me, about 30 yards behind me. There's, a, there's an older lady, and she's just sobbing, sobbing. And I just know as clear as the day, the Lord said, go, go, go to her. He'd already sent the invitation. He'd already invited people. To so I go up to her, and I walk up to her and introduce myself. I said, would you like to get saved tonight? She said, I sure would. And we just walked down there together. Sometimes I think the Lord, uh, in the midst of the masses, He wants us to see the person. Who do I need to go to? How do I know to go to that person? Well, good news is God, the Holy Spirit, will direct and lead you just like He did Philip here. Now let me say this, when you hear clearly from the Lord and you discern that it's the Spirit of the Lord leading you, you need to go. Be obedient. He said, those that love me obey my word. And in that moment, here's what I've learned over the years. The more I hear from him, listen to him, discern us from him, and do what he's called me to do, the more it becomes natural in a relationship with him. When he speaks, I begin to listen. Now, I'm, 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 please hear me. Please hear me. Good night. There have been many times I didn't want to hear from the Lord. I'm just being honest. That may mess with some of you here. I'm just being honest. There's been times where he's tried to get me to do something. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. And you wrestle. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Has God ever asked you to do something that you've never, never done before? And you step out in the way and you're like, mm, I don't know. And you get a little nervous and anxious and you're like, oh, somebody else will do it. Lord, raise up somebody else to do it. And we, and we hold back. I mean, I mean, just being honest. But look, God wants us to grow in this relationship with Him. Look, everybody here, please hear me. Everybody here has a plan and a purpose. God has called you here for this reason. And so cultivating this, it takes time, but please hear me. God is speaking loud and clear. My hope, I hope, my prayer is that God would get hold of our hearts, that we would begin to hear from the Lord, that we would listen and, and commune with Him and, and do what He's called us to do. So Philip does this. He goes down that road. He starts going down the road, and on his way he met this Ethiopian eunuch, and it's an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem for worship, and he's on his way home sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Spirit of God tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
What I I love about this is that Philip's cultivating a sense of dependence on the Lord. The Spirit of God is leading him even in this moment to go up there. Just being sensitive, doing what he's called him to do. He's walking down this road. He sees this chariot. Lord tells him to go over there next to it. Just stay near it. Just stay near it. Go over there. Now, there's some things here about the Ethiopian that we need to just look at. He's a God-fearer. That means he's somebody that at some point in his life recognized that all the pagans that he's dealt with in his world aren't real. And at some point, he looked over here at the Jewish faith. And by the way, we, when we look, I mean, they, they, they believed in the one true living God. And salvation is from the Jews. And Jesus said that. And so it was very different in their culture. But at some point, he recognized all this stuff that I've been taught isn't real, but all this is real. And there's something that attracted him to the one true living God of the Jews. And so what does he do? Wiersbe says he traveled over 200 miles to come to Jerusalem to worship. Over 200 miles. Think about that. He traveled a long way. Now, that tells me something. We know he's an official in the royal court. He handles the treasury for the queen. That means he has a high status. That means he's prominent. Now, how do we know that? He's in a chariot. Most people had them sandals on their feet. They're walking everywhere they go. There's a reason why you walk clean them feet when you come into the house. But he's in a chariot. It tells you he was somebody with prominence. He often would have, he wouldn't have traveled alone. He had an entourage with him. And God calls Philip to go up next to that chariot. We also know that he's wealthy. Obviously, he's in a chariot, but he's also reading the book of Isaiah. Now, for us, me and you, I assume you have a Bible. Most of us have multiple Bibles at the house, right? Back in the first century, that would have been a very uncommon thing. Particularly somebody that was not even Jewish. I mean, how did he attain such an incredible copy of the book of Isaiah? Well, he had to pay somebody. You, you got to pay somebody good money. I mean, he went up there to the temple and said, I need some of that Isaiah. Give me, give me that book. And some scribe wrote that down. I mean, it took a while to do this. And he paid good money. That's how we know he's wealthy. But he's not, he didn't just have it sitting over there, but he's reading it. He's opening this up. And I love the, the, just how God ordained this moment. It ordained this moment. By the way, we know he's educated because he's reading the Bible. But I love how God ordained this moment. How do we know this? He's reading Isaiah 53, the moment Philip walks up next to the chariot. Now, it's unlikely he just opened up Isaiah and jumped to 53, but he could have. Most likely what did he start in chapter 1. Why? Because he wanted to know the truth. He wanted to know the truth. But here in this moment, he's in Isaiah 53. Now, all of you already know this. I'm just reminding you. If there's a chapter in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 is the messianic prophecy about Jesus. When you go back and read that chapter, it describes his birth in verses 1 and 2, his life and ministry, his substitutionary death, verses 4 through 9, and his victorious resurrection. I mean, it is just, isn't it just amazing how God had Philip show up at the right time in the right place with the right words so this one person would come to faith in Christ? I mean, again, Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-led witnessing. The Ethiopians focused on verses 7 and 8. In fact, it's quoted right here in Acts. The eunuch was reading this passage. The passage is this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb before the shearer is silent. He did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, who who is the prophet talking about? Himself or somebody else? He doesn't know. But he knows there's something going on. God is stirring his heart. Now let, let me say this before I move on. This wonderful man, we don't even know his name, this Ethiopian. We don't even know his name. 
He was educated. He was a God-fearer. He was religious. He was wealthy. He was educated. Had a great job. But he was lost. When we talk about Holy Spirit-filled witnessing, friend, please hear me. There are people today, I promise you, I, I really believe in my heart that they will come Wednesday night to this fall festival. They're going to be very educated. In fact, you may have some here that are very religious, but they don't know Christ. You may have some that, that are on the, the, the threshold of eternity, and they know, they know they need Christ. They don't know what they need, but they need something. It's been said that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man and woman, us, humans. That we know, we know there's more to life than what we see, instinctively. We can look at creation, we don't have time for all that, but we know this. God will put us at the right place at the right time with the right words to share. What does Philip do in verse 35? He begins to share with this Ethiopian with that very passage of Scripture in Isaiah 53 and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. I mean, he takes him from where he is and leads him to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful story. Holy Spirit-filled witnessing. Taking people where they are. Don't not try to be somebody you're not. Take them where they are. Just be welcoming. If there's anything that will be said about us on Wednesday night, please, Lord, help us to be welcoming to whoever shows up. Let us reach out in the name of Jesus. Take someone by the hand. I hope, I know we got Bill and David and uh, Tim, and I pray others that are going to be in these parking lots telling directing traffic. I don't, need, I don't want you just directing traffic. I need people out here welcoming people here in the name of Jesus. Extending a hand, a smile on your face. All these things are the kindness of the Lord demonstrating through us. What I love about this is that Philip, in this moment, begins to share with him. And, and, and according to the passage of Scripture, he, he, he comes to know Christ. In fact, the Ethiopian wants to get baptized when they see uh, some water on the side of the road. And he is. In other words... Those that profess Christ personally as their Lord and Savior want to make it public. God never intended us to be closet Christians. Never, never intended us to just keep it to ourselves and don't tell anybody about it. When God comes and takes residence in our heart, when we're truly born again, God wants us and moves us to make it public. And that's what He does in this moment. So He gets baptized in that moment. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Here, here's what I'm going to say. He needed to know. He needed to know about the Lord. What I love about this is in this context, in verse 31, when Philip asked him, he says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I know this unless someone explains it to me? It parallels the passage in Romans where Paul will say these words. He said, how then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? Philip, somebody preaching. Not your called preachers. He was just a servant in the house of the Lord. He just took care of widows and provided food. He was just, in many respects, the ordinary follower of Christ. How can, bless you, how can they preach unless they are sent? 
Remember, it was the persecution that sent Philip out. He had no idea, but he ends up in Samaria proclaiming the gospel, and revival breaks out, and then God sends him down on a desert road to talk to one person. History tells us that one person took that gospel back to his house. But we don't, I don't know the whole story. But we see the fulfillment of the gospel going forth to the uttermost parts of the world. I love this. Paul closes with this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I just remind you in verse 17 it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now this morning, as you came into the house of the Lord. I'm looking for it. Oh, there it is. I hope you received one of these. If not, we'll get it in your hand. Did everybody get a little bookmark this morning? Did did y'all get one of these? Did y'all got one? If not, Michael will be happy to get it. If you didn't get one, raise your hand for me if you don't mind. Thank you. Michael, you don't mind, do you? Go ahead. Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to hand you this little bookmark. If you don't have, there's some more back there. Matt, you might need, I don't know if anybody else need one. Go lift your hand. I see you, Connie, back there. There you go. There you go. Everybody get one. I want to make sure everybody gets one of these little bookmarks. Matt, thank you. Thank you. Everybody get one. Thank you. Thank you. You're like, good night. This is important. This is big time right here. I'm investing in you. That's what I'm doing. Thank you. I'm sowing into your life right now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What Philip did is he took him out of Isaiah 53 and walked this Ethiopian to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the word of God. That's what he, we don't know the whole thing, what he used. We don't know all of the scriptures he used. We don't know that at all. But what we do know is that the Holy Spirit equipped him in that moment to share the word of God. And this, this Ethiopian came to faith in Christ. Now, here's what I'm, I want to I share with you. This little bookmark talks about the Roman road. Everybody, everybody got that? It's got a pretty picture on one side. Turn it over to the other. Now, they don't have large prints. I mean, you can't, you know, it's a bookmark. I, got, I know. I'm getting in that point myself. I mean, it's like, can I even read it? Some of y'all may have to go home and get the magnifying glass to look at it. But I want, I want to be clear. You can't get a big print on one little bookmark. It would be a big bookmark. You know, it's like for your family Bible or something. We could get one. But anyway. Anyway. I want to read this. And you can read, come along with me on this. Okay? Because my hope and my prayers Wednesday night. Look, I know it's not just about Wednesday night. But my hope is it not just Wednesday night. But any night. Any day. Any place. It might be at work tomorrow. It might be, any, it might be later on when you go to lunch. Or wherever you are today. Take the bookmark out. I mean, it's, 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 listen, all of you have a story. I hope you have a story. And if you do, it's worth sharing. So don't make more than what it is. If you find someone like Philip found and, he, and, and, and they're reading a scripture or they're asking questions about the Lord, that is God at work in their life. So you just ask them, say, well, let me, can I take a minute and share with you from God's word how you can come to know him personally as your Lord and Savior? If they go, no, then okay, I'm sorry, okay, pray for them and move on. But if they, yes, they say yes, then here, take, take this thing and read it. It's real simple. Verse 1, uh, chapter 1, this is Romans, all in Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God and the salvation. There's only one way. Now, I know I'm a preacher, and I may elaborate on some of this. There's only one way somebody's going to get saved. It's through the gospel. It's through Jesus' death. And his resurrection. His atoning sacrifice is the only way. Now, it's interesting. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says, I'm going to try to keep it just to what the Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Y'all with me? All have sinned. Now, we throw that word sin around a whole lot. That word in this context is an archery term. Harmatia is the Greek word. It means I missed the mark. 
I don't know how many archery people I got. I know I got one on the back row. I know you like shooting bows. But everybody say, have you ever shot a target? You know, there's a bullseye. What, what that says is you will never measure up. You're never going to hit the bullseye, literally. Why? Because you fall short. You, you, you've messed up. You're never going to make it. You're never going to do enough good stuff to make it to heaven. Not going to happen. Even the Jews knew that, right? But sometimes, I don't know, Satan tends to lie to us sometimes when we think we can be good enough to make it to heaven. I'm not talking about people in general. In the Bible, it just says, no, 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 all have messed up. But the good news, now look at this. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, the payment for that sin is death. It's not quite the good news yet, but that is reality. Now, now, now it's getting a little sober reality in this moment. The payment of our sin is death. Separating from God, not just now, but forevermore. But the good news, the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life. While we're still, still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. Romans 5, 8. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone. Mm, everyone. Men, women, boys and girls, doesn't matter how religious you are, how much money you have. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can walk them down the Roman road. Walk them down the Roman road. If you say, Jay, I get real nervous. I get nervous too. Just open, just take the bookmark out and read it. Just read it together, right? So I'm, I'm saying all this because I really, I'm, I'm doing this intentionally on purpose because I really want you to be prepared because God believe God's going to put somebody in your path to lead to Christ. It may not be Wednesday night, but it's coming, it's coming for all of us here that are gathered here today. You say, you mean me? I say, yes, you. You. I mean, all of us that are gathered here right now. Absolutely. No doubt about it. So I, Now, it's just a little bookmark. I understand that. But it's just a way to share the gospel with somebody very practically and personally. Holy Spirit-filled witnessing. God, lead me. God, empower me. God, help me to proclaim the good news. We need. God knows that. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. But God, the Holy Spirit, empowering us to share the gospel with the people around us. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, right now, um, I'm just asking, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, that you would literally... Fill our hearts and our minds full of the Holy Spirit of God. God, that we would be, as Philip, so sensitive to your leadership that we would hear you telling us to go where you want us to go and do what you want us to do. God, as we come on Wednesday night, there's going to be a lot of action, a lot of stuff, a lot of things happening here. God, give us eyes to see the one. Let us be sensitive to your leadership. God, help us to be prepared and empowered to share your story about how you died on a cross for our sin. That you rose victorious and that whosoever believes in you, trust in you, shall be saved. God, empower us, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning.
we're going to have a moment of a, just a response time this morning. As we respond in our invitation today, in this time, in this moment, I really want to, I, I just want to invite you to take a moment today as we sing unto the Lord. Ask God to do what only God can do in your heart and your mind. But friend, please hear me. If you're here today and you know God is calling you here to Flint Hill, then you come. If God's calling you to salvation, to trust Christ personally as your Lord and Savior, come. To make it public through believer's baptism, you come. My hope, my prayer is that you're free to do what God's called you to do. In Jesus' name, let's sing this together and respond to the Lord.